G'day Fisters and welcome to episode 21 of The Fist, The Whole Fist and Nothing But The Fist, So Help Me Pod, the official Fistball Australia podcast. Or for short, TF, TWF, ANBTF, SHMP, TOFAP. Or if you're listening in one of the many multiverses out there where time runs in reverse, that would be Podcast Australia Fistball Official, the pod me help so fist the butt nothing and fist hole the fist the. P-A-F-O-T-P-M-H-S-F-T-B-N-A-F-W-T-F-T. I'm your host, Malcolm, Mr. Fister Donlan, and uh, joining me as a special guest host tonight is our resident expert in all things multiverse, trains, horse racing, and I believe the only fistballer in the world to have played fistball in Oceania, Africa, Asia, Europe, and South America, I don't know if that's true, but it certainly sounds good. It's none other than Lee, the power station Maroney. Thank you very much, Malcolm. And it is a, a real honour to be on episode 21. Wow, I, who would ever thought we'd make it this far? Episode 21, that's been a really good success story, hasn't it, this podcast? Like I said, thanks for, for having me on. I'm really excited about tonight's show. I think you've got a really good uh, lineup with the interviews, and I can't wait to get into them. I've got a lot of good questions, and, and can't say uh, hold back at waiting for this to start because it, I think it's a, an excellent interview that we have lined up tonight, and there's going to be some good stories and, and questions to be asked, and, and good fistball talk to be had as well. So looking forward to this so thanks for having me along like you said everything horse racing I think last time I was on I had to do the call of the 2015 Melbourne Cup that's I think now gone from my memory so I won't be able to do it again but I think we got tickets to Flemington that day yeah and haven't been Flemington hasn't been open so we've still been locked down since the last podcast so the world hasn't changed much on our end um but it has everywhere else since we did our last podcast together so thank you Chris yeah it's been a while I know you've done a couple of other podcasts I think when I've been unavailable you've sort of sat in for me with with Chris but this is the first one we've done together as a hosting duo so um yeah that'll be good and yeah, in episode twenty-one, we're we're almost up to the same number of episodes as our average listener base now. So that's um that's exciting. <laughs> but, um, anyway, without further ado, I'll get on to our our special guest tonight. Most of the information here I've just kind of stolen from Facebook stalking. So some of it may be correct, and some of it I might have just made up, but that's okay. Uh, so our special guest tonight is a real triple threat, a multi-sport talent. He plays fistball, volleyball, and ice hockey. In his professional life, he is studying medicine at the University of Vienna, and in his spare time, he is also a budding opera singer, with his rousing renditions of O Sol Mio, a real crowd favourite, a member of SSV Bozen in the Austrian First Bundesliga, and has a long history with the Italian national team, including appearances at the 2009 and 2011 Under-18 European Championships, the 2015 Under-21 European Championships, the... 2014, 2016, and 2019 Men's European Championships, and most recently at the 2021 Men's European Nations Cup. Welcome to the podcast, Moritz the Proctologist Men's. <laughs> Hello, guys. Thank you for having me. It's a real honor. It's really nice to be with you. Ah, thank you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for the amazing introduction. <laughs> ah, you're, you're very welcome. I think you'd be out of breath after those accolades there. Malcolm, that just went... I tried to write all that down. I, I think I gave up halfway through. 
<laughs> yeah, that was um, more more time than I like to admit um, trawling through Facebook photos and whatever else. But hopefully, I've I've covered your specialties and uh, yeah, I think you got it all. Um, yeah, so you're and our first first Italian guest, so um, we're excited about. It. So thanks thanks for coming on. We're we're really excited to um to talk a bit about. Italian fistball, because it's something we certainly don't know too much about in Australia, and we, we love sort of finding out a bit of history and stuff on this show, so um, yeah. yeah, really excited to get into it. Yeah, I'm too, really too, yeah, love it. <laughs> what can I tell you about history? <laughs> yeah, well, we'll, um, we'll get to that in a minute. We've got a, a, a really, the most important segment uh, of the show to, ah. to come before we get to the interview, which is, um, what beers are we drinking right now, which is... Oh, um, yeah the most important part. So um, you're our uh, special guest, uh, Moritz. Uh, how about you, head us off? What's, uh, what's on the menu? Um, I'm, I'm, as I'm currently in, in, in Spain, I've got a, a little Spain beer here called San Miguel. Unfortunately, they only have it in cans, so I have to drink it with that. I know that's not too good. And mainly the Germans and the Austrians won't be really happy to see me for canned beer here, but <laughs> they got nothing else, so I have to ah, drink that. Okay. But it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Uh, Tried it yesterday and I like it. <laughs> nice one. Yeah, we we like the um we like the crisp um sound of the can open on air. If you mm, haven't opened yeah. it yet, that's always nice. No, no, I haven't. Op- Shall I open it now? Yeah, definitely. Get into it. What? Wait, wait one second. I hope you heard it. <laughs> yep. I put it to the microphone. That sound. Um, it's open up. <laughs> what time is it in the morning, Moritz? That's a before midday beer, I'm sure. No, it's it's one one and a half, one thirty. Well, one thirty. It's okay to drink a beer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> After 12, it's okay. <laughs> How about you, Lee? Yeah, so I did a bit of hunting around, and I've got to say, I, I don't have anything too impressive. I've probably got here the Italian equivalent of Foster's. Amazing. Which is, is sold widely here in Australia, Peroni. Now, I tried to get, there's another beer that they sell around the place here, uh, Moretti. Yeah. That, that wasn't available, so I got the Peroni. However, what I did do is, in honour of your, your AAA in Malaga because I just love the idea of people being on holidays at the moment and it's quite made me exciting and I want to hear all about Malaga. I did find a beer that's Spanish. It's not it's not a Malaganese, if that's the word, beer, but it's a, a Barcelona beer, uh, Estrella Dam. Yeah. And I've just had a panic attack that with a Peroni. I don't have a bottle opener and my dentist wouldn't recommend me using my teeth, so I might have to... I'll see if I can twist it open, otherwise we're going to go into the Spanish beer first. So we'll see how we go. <laughs> That's uh, definitely a twist top, so we'll get into the can. <laughs> Lovely. Now, I do have to say some Monday night here, or Monday everywhere, Alfredo Sandoval used to play in our team. I think he's actually still a member of the team, the, the South Melbourne Green Demon. He tells me that if you drink on a Monday, you get the gypsy curse. And the way that the gypsy curse works is that if you drink on a Monday, you end up drinking every day of the week after that. And it's not because you, you try to, it just happens. You know, a friend will come around on the Tuesday, there'll be a sporting event on the Wednesday, there'll be a, a wedding on the Thursday. So no matter what you do, you can't fight the yep. gypsy curse. So good on us, we've got the, all got the gypsy curse today. <laughs> nice one. That's obviously why I've been drinking every day for the last 10 years. It must be, it's all the Mondays. All right, yeah, it's uh, sort of similar to you, Lee. I, I thought I'd have a bit of a look for some uh, Italian beer, and there wasn't a lot of options around. So I've also got Peroni, but I did find uh, a couple of bottles of sort of slightly upmarket Peroni. So um, oh, I've got two bottles of the Peroni Peroni Grand Reserva. Uh, I've got uh, one that's the Doppio Molto, I'm guessing is probably double malt, and yep. one's Puro Molto, which I'm guessing is pure malt. So... 
I don't know. Moritz, you got any any suggestions which one to try first? Mm, I, I tried the granny server, but granny server is always good. Sounds good. <laughs> Sounds nice. Right. Sounds the best. <laughs> I'll try <All> right. that. <laughs> I'll get into... Uh, I'll try the pure malt first, I think, because it's probably the... Very good. And then I'll... Um, just for Milne's sake, so I know he loves a, <laughs> yeah, a nice on-air pour. Mm. I've been failing miserably at this the last couple of episodes, just leaving myself with a, a mug full of foam, but I think I've done slightly better that time. <laughs> well, guys, cheers. Cheers, cheers, guys. Fist. Boy. We'll move into the, the interview section of the podcast, which is what we've got Moritz on here for. So we're going to talk a bit about you and your fistball, fistball career and, um, and also some fistball in Italy and, and that sort of stuff. So how about we start off just with uh, where we usually start is how did you get into playing fistball in the first place? Yeah, I started playing fistball, I think, the first time when I was like 10 years old. My, my dad brought me to fistball because he played too back in the days. But that was at the beginning, I was more into hockey and I wasn't really too much into fistball. I, I loved it from the first time, but I hadn't, hadn't too much time. And when I grew older, so it was like 16, 17 years, I came back to the court, back to fistball, and uh, I liked it even more then. And so I started playing more regularly. So um, I really started playing fistball, let's say, with 16 years, like two times a week in the, in the practice. I really loved it then. And, and now it's getting even better every time, every day. Um, and I, I quit hockey two years ago. Um, also due to of the, the corona pandemia. Now I'm I'm full into fistball and, and I love it. <laughs> nice one. Yeah, it's interesting, yeah. A lot of a lot of the people we talk to often it's it's a family sort of sport. Because mm-hmm. it's obviously a fairly small sport, so not that many new people find it. So often it's you know, sticks in families and, and that sort of thing. So yeah. yeah, hopefully in Australia we'll um we'll start getting our our second generation of fistballers coming through fairly soon. At the moment we're we're still the first generation, so um <laughs> Somebody has to be the first. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so um, you, you mentioned, so yeah, you've been playing for, I said, about 10 years sort of now that you've sort of really started playing. What have been yeah. some of the highlights of, of your fistball career so far? Mm, I think the first real highlight for me was the was my first under-18 championship in Loredema in the near of Barcelona. I don't remember exactly when it was, but I was pretty young there. I was like 15 years old, 16, just the time when I restarted. I started as a, on the bench, let's say that, and into the tournament I came in more often because one of the strikers had some health issues, he had something with his shoulder, so I started playing regularly and the first time it was pretty hard for me, but because I was still young and, and there were guys like Patrick Thomas, Rodrigo from Brazil who were two heads bigger than me, but then I was there with my 15 years and, <laughs> and they, they, let's say it was like it was, they kicked my ass sometimes because I, I, I didn't get one ball at the first time. But yeah, it's it's all part of the process, and I loved it there. And also with the team, the the older guys in the team were amazing with me, and, and it's a great time with them. And it was like the, the beginning where I where I really began to to love the sport because everybody was nice. We we had a great time together. We had great times with other teams, and yeah, and there it began. <laughs> from there on, I made plus minus every European Championship from under 18 to under 21. Unfortunately, we couldn't go to the World Championship due to problems with some guys in the team. In Colombia, I think it was. I had this one under-18 championship, and then the next big step for sure was my my first nomination in the first team, which was in Olsen in Switzerland, I think, 2014, where I could 
go with the with the bigger guys with let's say like my my role models in football there i had like i think i played three or four balls in the whole tournament but it was still amazing to be there and to have this experience the first time you're living in austria at the moment yeah I'm, I, I lived in austria i finished med school four months ago so i'm, I'm finished now with the studies and now i'm leaving i leaving austria now but i was there the last six years yeah you grew up in italy prior to that yeah yeah, I grew up in Italy, went there for studies to Vienna with 18 years. I find it fascinating, the baseball story in Italy, because from my understanding, it's not much bigger than what it is in Australia. It seems to be that it's only played in some very small regions in Italy. One. <laughs> and, and I think it's close to the Austrian border, is that right? Yeah, yeah we, have, we have one club. We have the our national club, the, we, we're called SSV Boten. Um, it's also the international team. Also, we're playing with the same guys in the in, in the club as in the national team. <laughs> in one in one village, I find that amazing. So, how many people would you have playing? For we have a little internal selection most of the times for our for our national team. We have like 15, 16 active players who are who can play for the world championship, European championships, and we select from a pool of like let's say 16 to 18 guys. Ten of them makes the cut for the for the championships for European Championship and World Championships. So we don't have a pool like Germany with with one thousand <laughs> with sixteen and yeah. But we have a little pool. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And you said your dad played. Yeah. So it's been has it been about those numbers even when your dad was playing? No, 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 no. They they started with like hardly ten guys who came to these championships. They were more like seven, eight. They were their group with seven, eight guys who played the championship. And from time to time until now, we're, we always grew bigger and uh, our club gets bigger. We have a cool Yalf teams. We have, for example, an amazing under-14 team at the moment who are really, really good players, even much better than we were in this time of our life. And we grew a little bit of a, of a Yalf pool also. And we have a great under-14 team, a great under-18 team. And yeah, we have now a, big, a bigger pool to select for the for the next couple of years. Okay, well, that's really cool. It's um, yeah, it's good to hear that there's that it's a growing sport um, there. Yeah, because obviously when you sort of hear there's only one team, you think, well, mm-hmm. you know, is it sort of dying? Is there not not many players left? But ha- hearing that you've got a really strong youth team coming through is good. And I, yeah. well, one of the things that I guess we're sort of going to talk about. You're one of the the younger guys in the national team. There's like quite a lot of the guys in the team are kind of in their mid thirties, early to mid thirties now. Yeah. And I was sort of wondering like. You know what comes next because I was looking back through Italy's history of, of, of the World Championships, and I think uh, 2019, where you finished fifth, was your equal highest result. I think they finished fifth way back in one of the first the early mm. World Champs. So yeah. it's like you're just yeah. rising up. You've hit sort of the, the absolute peak, but at the same time, you've got a team of guys that are kind of hitting the end of their careers. So it's like. You don't want to like you know hit the top and then all of a sudden there's there's nothing coming through. So it's exciting to hear that yeah. there's another another wave of guys coming through. That's cool. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. I was doing some internet stalking as well, uh, Malcolm. <laughs> you've uh, I know you've been spending a lot of time doing it. I I did a small amount and I I noticed actually the history of this ball on Wikipedia says that it may have actually started in Italy, yeah. which I thought was interesting. I always think that it started in Germany. Uh, so if it started in yeah. Italy, it, I think in the 1700s, there's mention of it. So Italy's got about a 300-year start on Australia. So give us give us 300 years and we'll be, I think, getting to... Getting on the, the, on the, on the same level. Well. Yeah. In 300 years, we'll have one team. Yeah. <laughs> 
Us too, us too. <laughs> but no, I think the Italian team, I really liken to the Australian team because you would have the same issues that we have just in terms of just retention of players. You know, unsure about whether in a few years' time you're going to have yeah. enough players to actually field a, a team and, and where you're going to get your up-and-comers from. So, you know, I, I think there's a lot of similarities there. My first memory uh, of Italy was when we were in Argentina. We had travelled over as the Australian team for the World Championships there and we had just arrived and were looking for the, for the shops and a group of us were just walking down the street and we ran into this group of guys who were just fun-loving and full of life and confident, just talking to us and chatting. And it turns out they were the Italian team. It was the first team that we met the, at the World Championships. And I just thought, wow, they're just, that's the football community. They were, they were so friendly and happy to talk with us and talked about your history in Italy. And, and we realised then that you were no bigger than us. And in fact, we, we might have been even bigger for the Australian team. So, yeah, I think it's a really interesting group that you play with and a, a very interesting story about how you you know maintain that baseball team in Italy. Yeah, I think the main thing because th that we're playing, everybody has to do so much effort. We're playing, I don't know if you know, we're playing in the in the Austrian Bundesliga, in the, the first league in Austria with teams like Völklerbruck, Freistadt with the top teams of the world, you can say. And we have to do so much effort because we, we're not all located in Bolzano, as you, as in Bolton, where, where we're playing, where our club plays, as you said earlier, where we have guys in Germany, we have, we have guys studying in, in, in Austria, we have guys in, in Florence and in Middle Italy, and we have to travel so much to, to have these games. We have like eight-hour trips to our games when, we, when we're going for one game, like four sets. Wow. And then you have to play against teams, you know, like Völklerbruck, where a where play goes about four winning sets goes for 30 minutes because we stand no chance against them but but we're still doing it because we think that's the only way to grow to get better and yeah it paid off as you saw then in 2019 in the world championships where we had the really amazing results yeah definitely i did have one one question quickly about so you mentioned that your first uh, time playing for the italian uh, men's team was in 2014 at the european championships yeah and yeah. then you played again mm -hmm. in 2016. And in 2015, you played in the under-21 European Championships, which was held around about the same time as the Men's World Championships in Argentina. Was that a, a sort of a choice that you made to play with the under-21 team in Europe as opposed to going to Argentina, or what happened there? No, the problem there was that uh, I started my studies there this year. This was my, my first year of med school, and... They wouldn't let me leave there, so I, I had too much lectures, too much practica to, to do, and uh, they said I, I couldn't go in my in my first month to Argent Argentina for two weeks. And okay. So unfortunately, I had to say that I couldn't come with the guys. That was more that I, <laughs> that was not <laughs> not as I wanted it, but yeah, <laughs> I couldn't do anything else. So. Yeah, the, the plight of the the amateur sports person. There, uh, yeah, it's one exactly, thing if yeah. you're playing a big sport and they're paying you thousands <laughs> of dollars to do it, but when you do it for the love of it, sometimes work has to come yeah, first. Exactly, and especially yeah. when you're uh, get it, you know, when yeah. you get into studying medicine, it's not uh, so easy to get into those kind of courses. So you have to do the right thing. Yeah, I understood it too. Yeah, you can change it. I would love to be there, but as you said, sometimes work is more important in in our sports, and you can't change it. Yeah, definitely. Well, I, I think you've got a lot of fistball ahead of you as well. So I hope so. <laughs> it's, it's tough to miss out on some of those decisions that, yeah, you need to, I think, yeah. get that balance sometimes. And, um, yeah, I hope to be watching. And, in fact, I'd love to go to the World Championship in Mannheim 
uh, in, a, in a few years' time, and I very much doubt as a player, but as a spectator, I think it would be an yeah. awesome spectacle. So I hope to be sitting there and cheering you on, watching the game. Yeah, I, I hope to. I hope to see you too there, and I hope to see me still there. <laughs> you never know. I'm also getting older. <laughs> Maybe these some of these amazing youth players might uh, might come and kick you out of the team. Yeah, yeah that's, it's possible. Yeah, I'm pretty scared about that. <laughs> I'd actually love to go over and do the the Yona tournament. I think that would be a lot of good fun. I know you've done it, Malcolm, and sounds awesome. But yeah, how do, how do you go about getting the, the youth players? Uh, is it something you, you try to do? Is it just you're getting enough popularity through people within your town that come and watch it? How, how do you keep the numbers up? How do you attract the young players to play football? Ah, so yeah, some of the guys, we, we had uh, like four or five years ago, we had a, a school project in our primary schools where we went in all, in all the schools in Bolzano and, and showed them the sport and tried to, to bring them to our country, uh, to our club, sorry. From the school project, we, we got like about 12 new players, so playing now every, every day, no, not every day, but two, three times a, a week. And yeah, some of these guys, so like four or five of these guys from the school project are now, our, as I said earlier, our main talents in, in the club and mm. are really playing an, an amazing fistball if they're age now. And yeah, they're, they're like 14, 15 years now. And I, I told the guys in like one or two weeks ago that I'm pretty sure that one or two of those 15-year-old guys will be in Mannheim as a player. And, and, <laughs> and, and they said, I'm, I'm not so sure, let's see, but... I'm pretty sure that one or two of these guys are coming with us with 17 years in two years. So wow. we'll see. <laughs> are they like you? They they play other sports as well, or is is football their their main sport? Yeah, that in our generation, as as you said, I, I played hockey, and, and it's pretty funny that in our team now we, we have now with like I think six guys who, who played hockey and came to football in in the summer to to have something to do during the the off season, and, and we're like a, a team of hockey players plus minus. But now, around their 18 and under 40s only play football, and that's their main sport, and they're giving everything for it. So they have higher chances to get better than, than us because they're really there two or three times a week, you know, practicing, giving everything they can, and we'll see how it, how it works out in, in some years mm. because it's their main sport, and as, as I see, they're, um, they love it. And yeah, they have a great group too. They're all friends. Your club, what are your club facilities like? Do you have dedicated football grounds to play on or, or do you play on, on football or, or soccer pitches or, or where do you actually play? Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty cool story. We had a football pitch it's, which is only for football and that was, we got this place like in 1960, in the 60 years, I think. Wow. Which our, our old president, yeah, our old president um, came to one of his friends and said he wanted to, to grow the sport bigger and, and he needs a pitch for that. And this friend of him had this pitch, and he gave us this pitch at, at the beginning for free in this in this time. So in the 1960s, we could play there for free. They had their fields there, and we're still on there, and um, we're playing on on two fields, which is which are only for football, and could always get it better. We can play in our, our league games there. At the beginning, it was more like in the middle of of trees and everything else. You, you know, I don't know if you can imagine it, but now it's it's a really really beautiful football pitch, and on which we can play on. And yeah, it was. Our old president back in the years who who gave us this chance and and we still have it so we can go up there whenever we want when it's playable yeah. Oh, that's really cool. We um I think Lee for most of us when we were it was probably when mm. we were in uh, Unterhauchstedt in in Germany just before the World Championships in 2019 was I think probably for most of us Australian guys the first time we'd ever really seen like a 
a club that had its own fistball facilities and like a dedicated fistball pitch and they had this automatic um solar powered yeah. lawnmower that would go out every like <laughs> yeah. so often and mow the lawn and we were just like it's in a road movie we're just following it around like this is the most amazing <laughs> thing i've ever seen this this automatic lawnmower and like because yeah we're used to like playing in parks that are the fields aren't level and we yeah. don't have lines. We just put, you know, markers down and stuff. And, you know, we're always struggling to find places to play. And then these guys have got these <laughs> immaculate fields. And, yeah, it was just like, oh, wow, this is this is what it's supposed to look like yeah. when you play this uh, play Yeah, so, um, and with these automatic lawnmowers as yeah. well, they can mow the lawns every day. So every day you've got the same length of grass that you're playing on. It's, it's it was a smooth surface. It was a consistent bounce. Yeah. And there was four pitches as well. So if one got worn, you could just go yeah. over to the next pitches. There were poles. You got dedicated poles as well um, that go into the ground. Um, yeah, facilities yeah. in the net. So I, I thought that was amazing when we were uh, lucky enough by Elmar, who uh, looked after our team in Switzerland, and he actually took us to his team, uh, sorry, to his, his primary school uh, that was nearby to his, his house they were they actually taught fistball and they had a dedicated storage area for fistball and there was just hundreds of fistballs in there and, and nets and equipment and this is it was just a paradise in there in this in this room just with, with dedicated fistball equipment <laughs> oh yeah actually that was even funny i remember mm. when um uh, in and we're like, oh, where do you keep the stuff? And Stefan was just like, oh yeah, just mm. go get it, whatever you want from the container. From the container, and we were around. There was this, this shipping container just full of fist balls and all the stuff you needed. And it was like, I've never been so excited by a shipping container before. <laughs> as this, it was just like it was like the Holy Grail from uh, Indiana Jones, where you just walked in and it's just like, oh my god, this is uh, this is amazing. And it's like, yeah, yeah, you know, you're in trouble when you're getting excited by a shipping container full of old fist balls, but. That's where we're at. Yeah. <laughs> Moritz, can you, with, with studying in Austria, can you impress anyone by saying that you play for the Italian fistball team or is is it like here where no one has heard, ever heard of fistball? Mm, yeah, it, it depends. Some guys love it if you play for your for your national team. and But the other, thing, other guys then ask mm. which sport you're playing and, and, and when they say fistball, that's also an, also not... Where I was in Vienna, it's, it's in Vienna, it's, it's really in the east of, of Austria. They they don't really know fistball. Yeah, yeah. If you go to Upper Austria and say to the guys, "Hey, I'm playing for the for the Austrian national team," they know it and, and they appreciate it. But it depends on, on which which part of the of the country you are. And, and and Vienna is like one of the parts where you don't really know too much about that sport or where it's played. You know the name, you 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 know that it's played, but doesn't really impress as I can say so. it's not really a big city sport is it yeah. it was sort of explained to me that it, it was really the small towns that couldn't field a, a football team they were the ones that generally started football yeah. teams and, and so it's just growing out of those small little villages which you know I think actually gives it a um, gives it that community feel mm. the, the fact that you need to go yeah. to certain places in the world and find football and it's huge there and, and outside of that it's, it's unknown I, I find that really fascinating for such a amazing and, and cool sport mm-hmm. yeah yeah and i think where you play in in, in bozon or on south tyrol in general from i guess just kind of looking it up on on wikipedia sort of just trying to read a little bit about the history it sort of has a fascinating history in itself as that area being that it was sort of part of austria for for quite a while and i think it was at the end of world war one when yeah. germany austria sort of lost the war that then it became part of italy but it's still a very heavily sort of yeah 
Austria, Germany sort of influenced area, yeah, and for sure, and yeah. even now, like I think the majority of people speak German as a first language. Yeah, and it's, only some speak Italian, or or both sort of. It's like it's like fifty fifty. <laughs> if you in, in the bigger cities in South Sydney, they're we are main, they're mainly Italian speaking, and then if you go in the valleys, they're they're more like German speaking guys and people. Um, but most of the guys speak German and Italian. One one language may be a little bit better than the other, but we know both languages. Yeah. So when you, when you were growing up at home, what was what language did you speak in your house with your family most of the time? I speak German. I speak German with my with my parents, but I, I went to an Italian primary school, and then I, I I played in an Italian ice hockey club. So I I'm pretty much bilingual. So I know Italian pretty well. Like my second mother language. Wow. So I think I think you're good yeah. enough to call yourself trilingual. Yeah, I think you're uh, you're getting along pretty well here in English. To get to, we'll give you a pass right there. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. Knowing speaking three languages pretty much fluently is, is something we just don't get exposed to in Australia. I... Yeah, I mean we speak we speak Australian, American, yeah. English. You know, the, we, there's, yeah. there's quite a lot of languages, but yeah, um, yeah. They're, they're all very similar dialects. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I know the the lyrics to Helicopter Einstein Sieben. <laughs> yeah, pretty much my my German understanding. But good song. It comes from a medical university from from Germany. <laughs> oh, really? They made it at the festival. Yeah, yeah. Is that right? Yeah, I've been at the festival when they, when they first sang that song, and, and it was from I think Bonn or uh, yeah, a German a German university made that song. Yeah, wait. And then someone paid them many money to to bring it on to. So helicopter one one seven. And so at first it was medicopter one one seven. So <laughs> they changed it up the song. Oh, oh wow! Medicopter. Yeah, yeah. The original song is called Medicopter. Wow. And here we were thinking we were just going to be fascinated by fistball history. You only get this from a fistball podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess that's the end. That's the end of our fistball talk for the rest of the podcast. It's all going to be about <laughs> origins of Euro pop songs. Yeah, about songs. <laughs> Is it is it still a big mm-hmm. song, Mark? Not not too much. I, I I don't I don't hear this song too much. Party Schlager moves moves quickly, I guess. Yeah, it's like the classical pop song. See, this is the problem for us in that we only hear these songs once every four years when we're at like a fistball world championships or something, mm. and we get them stuck in our heads, and we sit there <laughs> listening to them at home, waiting till we go back. <laughs> And then they're not there anymore, and they've been replaced yeah. with other songs, and it's like, oh, no. my God, got to start again. Yeah. I thought it was Sweet Caroline. That was the only song played at Fistball Tournaments. And then the last championship, there's Mama Louder and, and Johnny Depp, and I agree. Yeah, you know them all. New world music out there. You know all the songs that are important. One of the other songs that I remember hearing at the um, from the World Championships that I was singing at home for two years afterwards was... Um, a dicker titten kartoffel salad, and I didn't realise for like two years that it translates to big boobs potato salad. <laughs> that's, that's one of the best songs ever. Yeah. I love it. Big boobs potato salad. <laughs> I call it like that now from now on. So it only made me like it even more. Yeah, it's amazing, yeah. From now on, I'm only calling it Big Boobs Potato Salad. 
I think that's actually the third time I've told that joke on a podcast and Milne keeps cutting it out, but I think if I edit this one, I can just leave it in. It's not up to him. <laughs> I only figured it out after the, the Nick Trinamire podcast when he was talking about his uh, his time in Namibia and that there was a guy there whose nickname was Kartoffel and he told us that that meant potato. And I remember sort of, yeah, I had this song up here and I was like, oh, well, it's Kartoffel salad. And I'm like, that must be potato salad. I'm like, what's this possibly this song about potato salad? <laughs> I was like, well, I think Dicke means big. Dick, yeah. And Titan, yeah. I think, is probably fairly self-explanatory. And so then I kind of Googled, like, translated it. And yeah, it's Big Boobs Potato Salad. I'm like, God, that's genius. <laughs> Why have we not thought of that song in English? But Yeah, the Germans are genius in these things, yeah. <laughs> I did miss that, that party Schlager culture. We had a, a Zoom party not long ago to celebrate Oktoberfest. And uh, as part of that Zoom party where we were just drinking and chatting and, and looked at videos of Oktoberfest and, you know, everyone's up on the trestle tables and they're singing and dancing with their big steins of beer and that's exactly the way I remember the World Championships in Switzerland after the semi-final and after the final, just that type of beer hall atmosphere and it's yeah. something I really miss here because we, we don't have that at all. We can't can't replicate it. We can hold German parties. It's nothing like that. There's a, there's only one way to do it, and that's in Europe, where you have these proper beer halls with that Germany music playing, and it's a, an amazing yeah. atmosphere. No, it's really amazing. You can't even sort of try and fake it because only the people who've been over there and have experienced that sort of fistball vibe kind of get it. So, like, if you try and just hold a fistball party in Australia and put big boobs potato salad on the radio, like no one no one gets it. They don't understand. Or, or yeah. <laughs> Or Mama Louder or Helicopter Einstein 7. Like, the ones of us that have been there and experienced, like, we love it, but no one else does. So it's like, unless you've... Yeah, you just can't create that same vibe. It's it's very disappointing. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, we'll keep moving along. Um, what other what other goals have you got for the for the future of for your fistball, Moritz? Like, assuming hopefully it all goes ahead next year is the World Games in, in Birmingham, Alabama, which I'm, I'm pretty sure Italy, having finished fifth at the World Championships, should have qualified for, which would be... Uh, Italy's first ever appearance at a World Games. Uh, are you hoping yeah. that uh, the, the Italian team will, will travel there and you're, you're planning to go to that? Yeah, we are planning for sure that yeah, it's one of the two main tournaments next year. But first, we have the honour to play at the European Championship at home. In Italy next year, we have the European Championship in Italy from 10th to 12th June, which is the first time we, we have a men's championship, European Championship in Italy. And yeah, we will try to give our best there in front of our country. And yeah, let's see. Maybe we can get a medal. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, because that was supposed to be held uh, this year, yeah. I believe, wasn't it? And last year. <laughs> uh, sorry, yeah, and, la- and last year, yeah. And, yeah. Then, and so then they <laughs> held that little European Nations Cup tournament, I guess, was sort of a bit of a placeholder. But I wasn't sure if yeah. they'd sort of cancelled the Euros or if they were still rescheduling because, yeah, I guess it's... Not only, like, the Euros also is the, the qualification tournament for the next World Championship, so it's a pretty important one that they hold. Yeah, it's really important for some nations to qualify. What's the, the difference between the European Nations Cup and, and the European Championships? As I understood, the Nations Cup was only a project for this one year. It shouldn't come on back in the, in the next years because it was just, we couldn't do the Euro, so let's do some games where, where all the nations come together after the COVID crisis gets better in Europe. And so I think uh, Olaf and some of the other national teams uh, decided to make this Nations Cup in Northern Germany. And yeah, then it started. It all started there and they made a great, great, amazing event there in, in Schneeferdingen, which is the home club of the German national coach, Olaf Neunfeld. And yeah, 
he made an amazing tournament for us and it was really, really great. We loved it there and he did everything he can to make it best possible for all of us. Yeah. It looked really good on the footage. I think I found the place on Google Maps, the satellite footage. It, it seems there was a few soccer pitches next door, football pitches, and a, yeah. and a running track as well, an athletic field next door to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I didn't realise fistball was played so far north in Germany. It was yeah. quite up, pretty close to Hamburg. Yeah, no, it's gotten, it doesn't get much more, much more northern. The next step is Denmark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think the Danish guys, they play in those northern German leagues and stuff, don't they? Yeah, they told us now they're in, in Schneefeling and that they're, they're now playing in the second Bundesliga in, in Germany, which is pretty cool for them too because they played an amazing tournament. We had, um, in the first set, which we played against them, we had some troubles because they really, really played good and yeah, our our main striker wasn't there, so so we had our best player missing. But they made an ama- amazing game against us, and yeah, I don't know they they became like tenth, I think, so something wrong in the world championship, and now they came really close to us, which were fifth, and that shows that they're also really growing and mm. and really having a good year. And yeah, it was a cool game. It was our first game of the Nations Cup against Denmark. It was the most important one. Yeah. <laughs> and it went well, I guess well. for you guys, I suppose for anywhere to play in Germany, that's probably sort of worst case scenario for you is somewhere right up in the very north of Germany because it's the furthest drive for you to get to. Yeah, yeah it couldn't be worse. <laughs> in location terms. It was like a 12-hour car trip for us. Right, so I did some maths and <laughs> you, you beat the Danes. Yeah. Uh, you beat Denmark. And we came really close to doing that when we played him really close. We lost in five sets in a 3-2 thriller, yeah, uh, which was gut-wrenching. So you've beaten Denmark. We came really close. I also noted that Germany beat Italy uh, at the, the last tournament, and Germany have beaten us too, yeah. naturally. Uh, so therefore, Italy and Australia are pretty evenly matched. If, if Australia play Italy, what's the score? <laughs> In which scenario? I'm thinking sort of 15-14 Italy in the first yeah, set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought about that too, yeah. It's like 15-14 with luck for us. Maybe we can win it in the last set. <laughs> I think the one thing you've forgotten there is that we've never lost to Germany, Austria or Switzerland yeah. in our yeah, that's true, history. Yeah. So, you know, I think that clearly shows we're, we're undefeated against, you know, some of the biggest nations in the world. We, we've, yeah. we did lose to... Bra- we lost to Brazil once, but um, yeah. only once. And um, other than that, yeah, yeah, we, yeah. We're, we've got yeah. an unblemished record yeah, yeah. against um, those big teams. So I think that shows that we're, we're probably ahead. Yeah, you're right, actually. The um, the one that we I was thinking of, we, we didn't play Germany at all. Um, I was lucky enough to play against Funkstadt in the club championship uh, some years ago. And that uh, made me think it was Germany. It wasn't Germany at all. Mm. So, yeah, actually, we've got a, a much more unblemished record. So I'm thinking it's probably 15, 14, yeah. maybe even 13, 15, 13 Australia's way yeah. in the in the decider. Yeah. From memory, Australia finished third in that um, World Club Championships and Italy didn't even get invited, did they? So I'm pretty sure that shows that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I'm being arrogant. <laughs> <laughs> we have like a, a minus 100 quote against this team. <laughs> we played 100 times and won zero, so... <laughs> <laughs> that game against the Danes actually was a, a crappy game and they're sort of one of our rivals now, I think. Moritz, who are the teams that you love to play? Who are the countries that you love to play and, and love to try to take a win from? Uh, I, lo- I have really close friends in, in Switzerland and in, in, in Austria, so I, I love to play against these guys. I, I always love to play against the guys I know. It pushes me even, even more to, to play good in the game. So I, I'd say Austria four years ago and now I'd say Switzerland at the moment. 
Yeah, definitely. That's it. What else have we got? Just one other question. I find it really interesting that, that you, like, ice hockey and fistball, I can't think of two sports that are much different, you know, as far as skill sets and everything goes. They're almost the complete opposite. Like, obviously, you need hand-eye coordination yep. and, like, a bit of balance and stuff like that, but really, they're, they're total opposites. How do, how do you find the two sports, like, different to play? Yeah, for me, it was like, I play ice hockey since I was six years old. I think something like that. When you, you grow old, it always gets more professionally, even in Italy, because we have some really really good teams also in the Yals and the senior level then and there was always this time from May to end of August, middle of August where you didn't have ice in the Yals teams we, we didn't have ice the whole year and uh, I needed to find something to stay fit to stay healthy to be ready for the next season and I figured out that fistball is the perfect sport for that you I can practice from May to August for fistball be fit when the, the dry practice for hockey starts for the new season and so I figured out yeah why not play fistball in the summer and then restart your season in September and that was the main thing I have chosen that and I came there but that was much more easier when I, when in my time when I was 16 17 years old now on we're, we're playing as I said in the first Bundesliga you, you have to practice more you can't say hey I'm here for two times and then I'm, I'm leaving for hockey again if you, if you want to play in the, in the first team in the Bundesliga yeah. team you you have to give everything for fistball and mm. practice the whole year for fistball and it's not possible to play eight months hockey and then come hey I'm going to play a world championship can I go with you guys it's not possible anymore. Yeah. It was when I was younger. Now it's not possible anymore. Yeah. I guess the next question is, do you play a winter indoor season in Italy or do you travel to Austria for the indoor winter season or is that not really something that you guys do? No, we're only playing the outdoor seasons. We're not playing the indoor seasons. I don't really know why, <laughs> to be honest, but we're not playing the indoor seasons, no. I, yeah, maybe I think the main cause is because we don't have a good field in indoor to play um, in Bolzano because it's pretty difficult to get a close practice field. Mm-hmm. We have handball teams, we have volleyball teams. They usually play on handball fields, yeah? Yeah, yeah. And the problem is that we have a handball team in the in the first league of whole Italy and handball is pretty common in Italy, so they need their own headings. And it's difficult for us to get a field where we can play a Bundesliga match. Bolzano, that's, I think that's the main problem for us to not play there. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, that's absolutely understandable. Yeah. I've got a couple of listener questions for you. So, Oh. <laughs> yeah, this is interesting because, again, we haven't advertised that this is going to be on. So our listener questions come from anywhere knows. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, the first one comes from your old hometown, Lee of Radelaide. And um, this one comes in from a... I think I've got a typo on here. It says Christopher. I'm assuming it should be Fistopher Milne from <laughs> Radelaide. And uh, well, he wants to know, were the suits that the Italian team wore in Winterthur, was that Italy's way of sort of mm. secretly challenging Australia for the title of the world's best-dressed fistball team uh, after we were the toast <laughs> of the tournament uh, with our Blazers in Argentina in 2015? Yeah, that was a problem for us in, in Winterthur because we, we were pretty sure that we were the best-looking guys at the party, but then you guys came up and, and at the moment we were second and that was pretty hard for us. <laughs> we tried to be the best and then we were second with your outfit. We stood no chance. <laughs> you stole up the show there. Yeah, we were impressed with the suits because... <laughs> they were pretty smart-looking, weren't they? Yeah, I'm sure we've told this story before, but in Argentina in 2015, yeah, we we walked into the, there was a big dinner on the Wednesday night in the middle of the tournament and all the teams were at the sort of hall where we were in. Yeah. We walked in sort of fashionably late with our blazers on and our ties and everything and all the other teams were just wearing their like tracksuits <laughs> and yeah, like 
the band stopped, the music stopped, and we got like a standing ovation yeah. from this, <laughs> like probably 500 people in this room. It was like the greatest thing ever. And yeah, yeah. and we spent the whole night just taking photos with people, whatever. And, and and the Italian guys were there, and yeah, they definitely didn't have suits that year. So we sort of thought, oh, look, they're, they're throwing down the gauntlet. Yeah. So we're, it's been noted ah. that Italy are, are upping their game in the suit category and <laughs> we look forward to throwing down again in the best dressed department for 2023. I think it would stand out a lot more if we got our suits closer to that number five position on the, the rankings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have another question. This one comes in all the way from uh, Bozen in Italy yeah. and it's from uh, Mar- Marilena M or uh, well, that might be too obvious. We'll call it M Ments. Oh God. And she wants to know, yeah. uh, what is your guilty pleasure food? The food you love to eat, but you probably shouldn't, and you just can't give up. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I hate her. Yeah, I've got a, a little addiction for, um, I, I don't know if you know that. That's like Haribo, I don't know if you know that. <laughs> I've got a little addiction for that, and I, I try to give it up, but I give it my best, but it's not too easy. <laughs> Thank you for the question. Thank you very much. <laughs> From what I hear, you're, you have yeah a, a little bit of an, an addiction to gummy bears, specifically. Yeah, yeah, it's gummy bears. Yeah, yeah those gummy bears are delicious. Yeah, yeah, it's the horrible gummy bears, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh. <laughs> now, everybody knows it. I'm guessing that question might also have given you some idea to who told me about your your penchant for uh, for opera singing in the in the initial uh, God, interview. God, I hate her. Really, I hate her. <laughs> <laughs> She's gonna pay for that. <laughs> yeah, when when I was um, when I was doing, it, I was like, oh, I really don't know anything about him. I was like, actually, hang on a minute. I think I remember seeing on that people you may know on Facebook another girl from Italy who had the same name. I was like, I wonder if that's a sister. And so I was like, I reached out. And was like, <laughs> well, <done>. so. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> So I apologise. That was Come on. I totally stitched you up there. But uh... don't ever get interviewed by the Dorky King. <laughs> Canyon Opera singing. Uh, nice. Yeah. Perfect. Lee, I know you did your rendition of the 2015 Melbourne Cup, but that's okay. We we don't need you to do that tonight because uh, Moritz is going to give us a rendition of uh, Oh Sol Mio later that'll take the show out. <laughs> <laughs> I've got no voice today. It's, it's not possible. Sorry. <laughs> uh, okay. That's well, not it... good for the guys to know how, how good I am. I don't. I don't want them to hear me now because uh, on other days I'm much better. And... Yeah, we wouldn't <laughs> want you to to give a subpar performance on yeah, this. Yeah. We know you haven't got your honey yeah, throat yeah, gargle exactly, and everything yeah. prepared yeah. to do it justice. Yeah, you, sh- you should have told me earlier. Yeah, we wouldn't yeah. want you to besmirch the memory <laughs> of the great Lucido Pavarotti. Is it Lucido? Something yeah, yeah, like uh, uh, Luciano. Luciano, Luciano. Luciano, that's right. I was close. Yeah, Luciano, yeah. <laughs> I think I was combining Luciano and Placido. I was just combining my tenors together into into one <laughs> one super tenor. Yeah, yeah. And the other guy. What is yeah. it from Seinfeld? Pavarotti, Pavarotti <laughs> Domingo and the other guy? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I think that's kind of covered our interview section. Perfect. We're going to move on to sort of the... It's a match review, but also, I guess, kind of a bit of a broad overview of the Men's uh, European Nations Cup. We're excited. We, we've, we've also got a little a special treat yep. for all of our dedicated listeners. We're going to try and bring in a special guest for this as well. Mm. So yeah, yeah, he's ready to rumble. All good. <laughs> Fist. 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 Fist.
Okay, so we're going to get into our, I guess it's a match review section, but also probably more broadly sort of a, a bit of a review of the whole 2021 European Men's Nations Cup that happened uh, last weekend. Uh, we're very excited that we've got a, a, another special guest uh, joining us uh, for this section who's happens to be travelling with Moritz at the moment is uh, from Switzerland is uh, Nicholas Fair. I'm embarrassed to say I don't have a, a grand introduction for you like I had for Moritz because I didn't have enough time to go Facebook stalking all of your <laughs> posts and, and find out too much about you, but I, I know you have played for Elg... Ettinghausen, I think it is, if I'm getting that right, in Switzerland. And you've been uh, part of some Swiss junior national teams and you're currently yeah, part of the Swiss uh, men's national team. Uh, but yeah, so thanks for coming on, on board with us to, uh, to review the Men's Nations Cup with us. And uh, thanks for coming along, Nicholas. Yeah, thank you guys for having me here. And uh, don't worry about the interruction. I'm not as interesting as Maurice anyway, so so it's fine. I, I was quite happy with what he said. <laughs> yeah, I didn't have time to hunt down any sisters or brothers for embarrassing stories about you. Luckily for you, so um... yeah, may, maybe better for me. Yeah. Yeah. I did do a small amount of stalking, Nicholas, <laughs> and I noticed you grew up or you live very close to Winterthur. Is that right? Yeah, sure. I um, actually grew up in Elb. That's a small village. Um, we have about 5,000 inhabitants, and I actually now moved to Winterthur, so I'm currently living in Winterthur. Does Winterthur have a regular team in the in the normal Swiss league, or was that just where they played the, the World Championships because they needed sort of the bigger stadium and stuff? There's not like a football club um, Winterthur, but there are a lot of football clubs around Winterthur. For example, um, TV2s or so on, there are um, some parts of the city playing baseball, and actually quite a lot. So baseball is quite popular around Winter Tour, but just not in a city centre, if you can say so. Okay. The whole tournament itself was pretty interesting. There was, I guess this tournament was sort of held, I guess, because the proper European championships that were supposed to be in Italy in 2019 got cancelled because of COVID and then again in 2020 got cancelled because of COVID which again have been rescheduled for 2022 so hopefully that'll the proper European Championships will still happen but this was yeah a separate tournament that happened in the in the meantime so it's not an official qualifying tournament for the World Championships or anything it's more just a sort of celebrating the fact that you've been able to get a, a big international tournament together post COVID. So, and I think we're all just so, so starved of fistball at the moment that we're all excited to watch any kind of international fistball at the moment. So that was pretty cool to see some high quality fistball on the TV or for us on the TV, at least you guys were <laughs> lucky enough to be there in person and be part of it. Yeah. So there were six teams that competed. So there was Germany, Austria, Switzerland, Italy, Denmark, and Belgium. And it was in Schneeverding and, Germany, which we sort of mentioned earlier with Moritz, is, is in the north of Germany, for those uh, playing along at home that aren't overly familiar with their with their German geography. And um, yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. It was a three-day tournament, sort of Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and uh, sort of a round-robin uh, section to start off, and then the top four teams went through to the semi-finals, and I don't know, what, you guys were there, tell us, what were your thoughts, how did you feel about, what would you think of the tournament as a whole? Yeah, first of all, we were very happy that we were able to play. So uh, big thanks to Olaf and Stefan Schneverdingen because, yeah, as you said, we haven't been playing um, at an international tournament for quite a long time. We've had some um, games against Austria in, and uh, Germany during the last two years, but just some uh, 
tests. So uh, there hasn't been a serious championship for, for two years. So uh, yeah, it was really cool to play there. And yeah, as you said, I think it was quite interesting. Germany didn't win. But, <laughs> yeah, uh, that's always yeah, interesting. So, like maybe yeah. yeah maybe it wasn't that that surprising but it's uh, unusual at least <laughs> yeah at least for the last 10 years yeah yeah, it's, yeah yeah i think i can say for the last few decades yeah. even but so yeah and yeah there were a few great games especially for us as well we are very happy with the outcome had a interesting mm. game against italy which uh, is also always very special playing against moritz but yeah i'm i'm really happy with the whole tournament it was just very cool yeah, definitely. Um, spoiler alert for anyone who's listening to this podcast in a month's time and hasn't got around to either watching the tournament from last week or watching the replays. But in the end, uh, Austria won the final against against Switzerland, which was a really cracking game. We'll, we'll talk quite a bit about that a little bit later on. Uh, I think it was four sets to two. And yeah, v- very even, a very close game. Um, but yeah, also, as, as you mentioned, Germany didn't win, which is nice because I think... Lee, as far as I know, from when we started playing fistball in late 2012, early 2013, this is the first time Germany hasn't won anything, any tournament yeah. that they've been in. So, Yeah, the big game that we watched uh, learning fistball was the final of the 2011 World Championships, which was Germany uh, against Austria, and had now showing our age of the Austrian coach actually playing as the, the main attacker for Austria mm. in the game. And I remember that game really well. And Germany just had that, you know, the powerhouse at the front there that just has still been getting stronger and stronger. And um, so it's been since we remember Germany. But when we look back at the past history of fistball, it was a much closer competition and you know the top teams has been shared amongst the big three european teams austria switzerland and germany and then also brazil as well so you know i'm looking forward to well looking forward to football all the time but you know where it's actually tightly contested at the top will be uh, some interesting world championships coming up Mm. yeah i think we sort of i don't know whether you say unfortunately but i guess from an interesting fistball championships perspective we come in at a bit of a bad time which was just at the start of patrick thomas kind of hitting his peak and basically taking over world yeah. fistball and he's yeah, basically he's been unbeatable for the last seven or eight to ten years and mm. the closest yeah i think we've seen since we've been playing was the i think it was the 2017 world games in poland when patrick thomas got injured early in the tournament yeah. and switzerland went agonizingly close we were, i remember watching that game I think it was, um, I can't remember if it was best of seven sets or best of nine sets. Best of seven it was. Best of seven, yeah. And I, as I guess we don't really play many best of seven games here. And I think Switzerland went ahead three sets to one and we just thought it was over. And we were just celebrating thinking, yes, finally someone's beaten Germany. <laughs> and then we realized that <laughs> it was best of seven and then Germany just took over. And, and there's been a few times like that where we think they're going to get beaten and they just, yeah, they always find a way to win. So even though... I think in this tournament, because it wasn't an official Euros or World Championships, maybe um, Germany possibly didn't have quite their strongest team there. You know, there might have been one six foot five, blonde haired sort of <laughs> superstar guy that wasn't playing for them. That might have made it a little bit easier for some of the other teams. It was great to see high quality fistball, and I guess because Patrick Thomas wasn't there and a couple of other German guys, 
it was an open field. You know, it was kind of like, we don't know what the result's going to be before this tournament starts, unlike some of the other tournaments that we've seen recently. And it's great to see some of the up-and-coming guys. We'll talk a bit more about the Swiss team later, but it's a very, very different Swiss team from what we saw a couple of years ago uh, at the World Championships in, in Winterthur. And, yeah, the the Austrian team also with a couple of young guys and basically, yeah, a whole... A, bunch of younger German guys so it's it's really interesting to sort of see some of what the next wave I guess of fistball is going to be like yeah some very uh, young players I, I noticed in the teams there so you know really good to see some and, and maybe some some new players introduced into the teams and, and and giving a go and getting familiar with playing at the elite level so I, I noticed particularly in the the Austrian team they looked very young quite a few of their players so a lot of them re- unrecognizable and makes it hard we, we often watching the, the live stream don't get the names of the players showing up on the screen. So we're, we're trying to work out who's who um, playing, which makes it interesting. Yeah, for Switzerland, it was actually the, the tournament in Winter Tour in 19 was actually kind of the last shot winning something with the older guard. And after that, everything changed. So we have a pretty new, uh, very young team. Our main attacker, Dotsi Raphael Schlotting, is actually the only one that already played in Winter Tour. And then there's also me. I haven't played in Winter Tour, but I've been in the team for a few years as well. But otherwise, there um, are only new players. And it was the first big tournament for eight out of 10 players in the Swiss team. Wow. So, uh, yeah, your impression's right. We are very new team. Yeah, so I guess it's a new team and a couple of, obviously, some of the, the big names of the Swiss team over the last yeah, decade or so. There was... Um, the Lasses weren't there, the Colas, uh, Ule Rebsam and Malik Muller, these guys. So have they? Have all of those guys kind of retired and, and stopped playing or, or are some retired and some just kind of not playing this tournament to let some other younger guys in? Or what's the, what was the sort of the makeup of the, of the Swiss team? Yeah, that's not the easiest question to, on, to answer, actually. Some of them actually retired, like the Lasses or both of the Kohler brothers. Rebsam is a little bit of a special um, thing because he didn't want to retire but he's still injured at the moment he has a very serious knee injury he's still not able to play at 100% he has been playing this year but yeah he's working his way back and I think it is his goal to play in the national team um, again I would be very happy for him if that could happen because he was was such a great player and that, and did a lot for the Swiss team. So it, he deserves better, I think, to stop like that. Yeah, yeah. I think he played it in Winterthur, but he clearly he wasn't a hundred percent. You could see, like, I think he he didn't play in some of the main games, and I think it might have been uh, I'm not sure of his knee, but I think maybe shoulders as well. Like, I think he just yeah he, yeah he wasn't at a hundred percent. Which you know, from the I remember watching him play yeah at some of those other tournaments, even in 2015 and and those World Games in 2017, where he was yeah so important. And yeah, you never want to see I guess injuries stop a guy from being able to compete the highest level. So hopefully, yeah, if he, if he still wants to play in the national team, then I really hope that he can get his body right and we can see him at his best because he's he's a very unique player when he's when he's fit, you know. He's he's not a big guy unlike most of the other main attackers in the world at the moment. He's he's short. He kind of does that that running jump serve that not too many guys do anymore. And yeah, he's he's something very different, and it's exciting to watch. I, so I, yeah, if, if he wants to get back, I, I really hope he can can get fit and get back. So that'd be that'd be good to see. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. He has been uh, 
other than than uh, some other strikers maybe as you said he's very small so he had to work a lot on uh, his surf um, and he's done that throughout the years and he's been uh, getting better and better and I think yeah in 2016-17 probably he was at his peak and he really perfected like everything he, he, it's it's always insane to see how much he gets out of his body compared to some bigger strikers yeah absolutely okay um all right so i guess we'll talk i guess firstly about the italy switzerland game which was a little maybe a little bit of an une- unexpected classic at the start i think probably going into the game we sort of probably thought switzerland would probably win this comfortably and that wasn't really how it went down and and obviously having both of you there who were, who were part of the game it's we thought it was no no better a opportunity to talk about the the match itself so uh so it was it was one of, i guess the the group stage games and i guess it was sort of important as far as the final finishing placements for the group stage because that decided who would play who in the semi-finals and then and then going on to the finals so obviously with with a german team that wasn't sort of full strength and yeah, I guess an Austrian team that that had uh, with Karl Muller in there, and and again even the Swiss team. Like when, when you know when Germany's when Germany didn't have their absolute best team there, it's 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 an opportunity to win something which hasn't really been there too much for the last ten years. So I think for everyone else, it was taking this um this tournament very seriously. So it was it was very interesting. And um so yeah, it was a only group stage game, so it was just the best of three sets. But uh, so the first set was was one. 11-8 by Italy. The second set was won by Switzerland, 15-14. And the third set, and I can already see Moritz shaking his head there in disgust as I say 14-15. And the third set was, uh, wasn't was as close. It was uh, Switzerland, 11-4. As I think the... Unfortunately, the spirits of the the Italians may have been broken uh, on that uh, last point of the second set. But... But I see, yeah, Italy won the first set, and it was a fourteen-fourteen. So yeah, it was a, a there was a match point for Italy in the second set to have a probably what would have been one of the biggest wins, if not the biggest win in the the history of Italian fistball to knock off Switzerland in a in a major tournament. So yeah, it was um and it was a cracking game. I I watched it live, and I remember sort of cheering on Italy, thinking like, oh, imagine you know here's a chance for for one of the outside teams to win and. Uh, yeah, little little bit of heartbreak there in, in the second set, but it was a great game to even watch again on replay, sort of to review for this for the podcast because yeah, there was there was a lot of a lot of things happening even in a three setter. It was it was really interesting. Yeah, as you said, it was it was a pretty special match for for all of us in the team. We knew that Switzerland had these new guys coming up, this new team. Um, they were young. They 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 haven't played uh, games at uh, too many games at international level. And one thing we definitely have in Italy is national experience, and we know how to play games on European Championships, uh, World Championships, and now in the Nations Cup. And prior to the match, our, our captain came to us and said, "This Nations Cup here now, this game, and the next year the European Championship is probably the, the nearest thing we can come to this big nation like Switzerland." And we really know that there, everybody in their team is better than us, you know, and they're investing much more in football. There are for sure better football players in the, in the whole thing. But if you if you watch it one game, we knew that we could have the chance to beat them. And so we went in this game and we had an amazing match. And it's always when we're playing for Italy, as, as I said earlier, we're, we're a Bolzano team and then we have the Italy team, which is nearly the same. But if we're playing for Italy, we're, we're two or three times better than if you're playing for the club team Bolzano if you play with our home country flag on, on our body and so 
we got in the game and we thought that we we could win this game and we were pretty sure that we can win it and yeah at the end we were pretty close but yeah one point <laughs> at the end it was one point and after the game we said that yeah we were close uh, it was one point and it's okay you know it's not a european championship and we have next year to to get another chance to maybe beat them if we have a good day but uh, you never know if, if it goes normally we i don't think we have a chance but you saw in the nations cup that on a on a day which is not the best day for the Swiss uh, national team, you can say, um, we have a chance. And yeah, we're very close. And that is good for us to know for the next year, for the European Championship, for the World Game. My perspective. Yeah. <laughs> Long perspective. From my perspective, it was fascinating to watch the, the two teams play in the way that they, they played against each other. And I think that the Swiss team used brute force with their attack. And, and the way that Italy went about it was, I think I noted every single point that Italy won in the first set was through placement of the ball, not, not barging through the French line. Because, I mean, look at the, the defence line of the Swiss team. You've got Nicholas in the back there and, and you've got a, a wall there. You can't get it past. But if you... Uh, I noticed that the positioning of the ball, it was short when it had to be. It was bouncing twice before any player could get to it from the Italian attack onto the Swiss team. So it wasn't just barging the ball through the, the defence line. There was very clever placement there, hitting the lines on the side. And I thought that's where Italy won the first set, was just brilliant placement of the ball. And the second set, at 10 all, we, we talk about when the score was 14 all, but when it was 10 all, that ball that Armand served, to their main attacker on the Swiss team. That was in. I could tell from here in Melbourne, from 15 million k's away, that ball was in. <laughs> it was... Uh, don't, don't, uh, don't talk about that, please. We didn't, we didn't want to talk about that ball. We, we made an agreement that we don't talk about that ball play of the podcast. <laughs> because I, I was so pissed off after that ball. <laughs> That's okay. We have to talk about that ball, because it was like the weirdest ball game, because not only was it, was it in, well, I thought it was in too, there was like a weird air raid siren or something that went off like just as he was about to serve the ball. And it's like, what the hell was that? It was just like this siren in the background, like distractions and stuff. And it was like, yeah, you know, couldn't have come at a worse time, you know, when it's like this just amazing part of the match yeah. where, yeah, there was so much on the line. and yeah. But I guess the other thing I would say about trying to watch the replay to see whether it was in or out. The only video I've got is just that, that one really long video of the whole day. It's like an eight hour long mm. video. So trying to rewind or like pinpoint like one moment is almost impossible because it's like it's <laughs> such a massive video clip. So you're like, I'll just go back and watch it again. And it goes back like three minutes and then you have to like... It's, it and then was... it buffers for three minutes and then you've got to... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was in... Everybody saw it, but not the rest. <laughs> but you can change it. It's part of the game. So. Yeah. yeah, No problem. Uh, and, and, and I mean, I think it's we've found... Going either way. It's a... Every single game that we've that we've reviewed on this podcast so far, there's, there's always at least one or two really controversial line calls. And, you know, being able to watch the replay, usually in like a slow, slow motion sort of thing, where you're like, oh, maybe it was just long and the ref mm -hmm. called it in without any kind of technology to help like they have in you know professional sports you know when you're just running the umpires like it's so hard on those really close calls and um but yeah and they always seem to happen at the worst time yeah yeah it's like 10 all in this in in that second set was yeah yeah, yeah it was crazy <laughs>
It's okay. You, you can change it, as I said. It's, it's, it's part of the game. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's painful when it happens, and you know we very rarely get to big moments in games as an Australian team. It doesn't happen too often, but when you have a big game like that where you're playing against Switzerland as one of your big rivals, and to have it come down on on a call, is, it is painful, and you know it goes both ways. We all understand that, and it's part of sport. It's what makes up sport, and what makes you want to come back and beat them next time because you, you feel as though that there's something that you got to make amends for that gee you can really sit back and scrutinize it and analyze it and get quite passionate and emotional over it and that's what makes up sport there's a lot of other points in the game yeah. as well uh, that you know it's not just that, that one point but it's what makes the defining moments it feels it's so that one percent difference between you and the other team and it can come down to what you yeah. believe is a and was clearly a, a, a line call Sure. <laughs> Still quite crazy though for the Italian team. You're you're as close as you've never been to beating a big team, and then at ten ten you uh, mm. placed the ball brilliant, brilliantly on the line. Um, it would be a point, and the, the ref called it out. So I, yeah, I mean I saw it perfectly because I was playing on the left hand side behind the attacker. So uh, yeah, I clearly saw that he was in. But in this moment, there were a lot of discussions but in the end I think it's a decision by the ref and there have been a few decisions against us in many important moments before mm. so uh, yeah it happens but still I I felt really bad for the Italian team this isn't what you deserve in, in mm. such a moment and look it's uh, it's okay <laughs> it's actually it's really hard umpiring it is you know we, we can sit here and and have a go but it, it is actually a really tough job to, to umpire a game and, and to pick up everything perfectly and to have players and teams go off at you when when you get it wrong. And we can we can maybe get in when we talk about the final. Um, talk more about how the the umpires can cop it at times, but um, it is a tough job. And so it, you know they try to be as fair as they can, but it just hurts when it feels as though it's completely gone against you. And I guess not only that, I mean, Lee, we've both done some umpiring here and it's really difficult, but like the higher the level you go, the harder the umpiring gets because the ball's moving so much faster. Yeah, we watch these games on the replay and like, oh, how did he miss that kind of thing? But, you know, live when it's happening and you're there, like it's it's so mm. much harder. And then, like I said, we try and referee games of Australia playing and we don't hit the ball anywhere near at the speed that, you know, Austria, Switzerland, Germany are hitting it. So, like, those close line calls where it's the ball's kind of skimming through, it must be incredibly difficult for the line judge to be like, yeah. is that definitely out or definitely in? And it's, yeah, it's it's a it's a really tough one. Yeah, for sure. One of the things, I umpired basketball for some years, and basketball's hard to it because it, there's a lot of sort of fine detail in the game and a lot of plays in a very close area. And... I found it very difficult and quite often you can make a call and then two seconds later have a, a mouthful of Bray being cast in your direction around a call that you made. And often I found you'd make a call from something that you've seen and you call, you blow the whistle immediately and then five seconds after you've blown the whistle and you've had your brain's had time to replay what happened, you've realised yourself that you made the wrong call but you, you can't overturn your own call. You know, another umpire can do that but you can't, you know, keep your integrity you can't just be changing your mind every call so you know I, I think sometimes linesmen would also see one thing straight away call it and then realize themselves maybe that was not the right call and um by then it's too late so yeah it's a hard job serving's incredibly difficult because you're watching when you're judging it's like well are they behind the line when they jump and then it's like you're watching them hit the ball does it clear the net 
did they land behind the line? And then where does the ball land? So you kind of eyes are just like darting back and forth to things, yeah. trying to trying to see like ten things that happened. And then you'll and at the end, then you kind of doubt yourself, yeah, because you're like, oh, did I see what I think? I yeah, yeah it's mm. it's crazy, yeah. And I said that those points always seem to come the big times of matches, which only you know, sort of adds to the to the drama. <laughs> they only ever do, don't they? Yeah, especially yeah. with the jump service today, I think mm. it's get, gotten a lot more difficult than uh, maybe 10 or 20 years ago. So, uh, yeah, you have to watch even closer on the line, and uh, then you have to watch the net, then you have to watch the line. So uh, it all um, goes very rapidly. And by the time the service landed and you've watched his feet uh, on the line, the ball's already down by the end line as well so yeah, you've got to be looking in two places and yeah sure he's already hit the ball yeah man. you know it, the ball's in the air it's, it's already landing and you're still watching the server land so yeah it, it, it's very difficult i've found the games that i've umpired i was lucky to actually umpire a game in Unterhauptstadt, and that was really tough as a single referee just umpiring the game and just calling the lines from i think i had a few lines from there but um yeah watching that the server land and then you still keeping an eye on the ball is yeah, you'd have to be a good ref to do that. Yeah. I guess um, I'll direct it back to, I guess, to the game itself <laughs> a, a little bit. Because um, we're going to just... This is what happens in all of our podcasts. We just... We ramble on about things and we go off these tangents and you're like, oh, God, it's been three hours and we've done it again. <laughs> yeah, so I guess to draw it back to the game a little bit, personally, I, I probably felt it that maybe in the first set, I'm not sure, Switzerland possibly didn't start with their absolute strongest team on the pitch and I think sort of expecting that they would win the game not just yeah comfortably you know started a, a few other guys um Raphael Schladinger was, was sort of on the bench and and Italy kind of got the jump on on them they you know um, Armin Runa was was fantastic early in the set won three or four early points and just gave Italy that that jump to kind of get three or four points ahead and just get that confidence early in the match and really sort of were able to to ride that right through the first set. And I remember looking at the end of the first set, watching the, the camera sort of panned in, and it was, you know, as the teams got together and, and Ollie Lang just berating the Swiss team and thinking, I don't really feel like that's a place that I would like to be right now. Like, Ollie Lang's a sort of imposing character at the best of times, but, like, having gone down a set early in a match that you're probably expecting to win, I'm like, I, I feel like that probably wouldn't have wouldn't have been a nice little huddle for that two minutes while he was just shouting at everyone. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember um, in the second set at the um, score of 10-9 Italy, so that was already the first match point. Mm. I, uh, I I had to pause the ball from the baseline, and uh, yeah, I think that was one of the scariest moments in my whole life because <laughs> it's 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 crazy what uh, what can go through your mind in just about one second. You're just standing there um, trying to pause the ball from 25 meters, and um, there are crazy things going through your mind. Like, what if I pause this ball too wide, and what if you lose against Italy? And uh, yeah, luckily I kind of put it on two or three meters, um, which was quite all right, and we, we scored a point. But, yeah, it was definitely, as you said, a very uncomfortable situation. <laughs> <laughs> he just seems like he's on the edge all the time, Oli Lang. Like, I, I've never seen him looking relaxed. He always just looks super intense, like he's, you know, he's so into the matches, and I'm like, oh, well, yeah. And he, 
Yeah, you, would, you wouldn't want to be the guy that made the mistake that lost your team the match, I don't think. You'd probably just run off the back of the field and jump in your car and drive home, I think. <laughs> Mail your uniform back to the Swiss Fistball Association and be like, yeah, I'll, that's me done. I'm, I'm out. I'm out. Yeah, I don't when know. we're watching the live stream, the cameras will continually focus on, on Ollie. And so you can just see, and, and you always seem just up and down along the sideline there and just continually talking, continually just getting really into the game. He's a very passionate and very strong-willed coach and he, he takes up a lot of camera presence as well because he's just got that switched on and, and wired the entire time. So it would be very interesting to play under that. I, I wouldn't be used to playing under that coaching style. Yeah, yeah. You could actually notice after we were one set down and uh, yeah, a few points behind them, he he didn't talk that much. Mm. Like normally, he talks even more. And even in the timeout, he was yeah, he was pretty quiet actually. I mean, you could expect him to be really loud and angry with the team. Hey guys, we're losing against Italy and whatever. But um, yeah, I think he was a little bit shocked as well, maybe, and uh, tried to stay very cool, which he managed and which we luckily managed as well on the pitch. And yeah, after the game. He actually said, hey, <laughs> did you even notice, guys, how quiet I was staying? Like, because that's not normal. I think in a in a close game, normally where we play our game against Germany or Austria, where we play some good football, he's much more louder. But in this situation, he, he, he actually stayed very quiet for um, his standards. So that was, yeah, yeah, quite interesting. Maybe because you can say it was, for him, it was a pretty pretty special moment because you had these games in, in, against Germany, against Austria previous in, in the summer and Switzerland couldn't manage to win one of those. And then there was the game against uh, Austria where they lost in the group stage and against Germany where they played pretty well. And then there was this game against Italy, which was for them maybe the, the most important game they ever had against Italy and the whole story of this, of this association because if they lose to Italy after they lost to Germany and, and, and Austria, it wouldn't be good for the Swiss association, you know? Well, no, you, you you beat Belgium. You beat Belgium quite comfortably. Yeah, so you had a yeah. you had a win there. Yeah, sure. Yeah, not, nothing against Belgium. They made also a great step and, and Denmark, but that's, that's not the, the standard for the the Swiss national team. No, but a hundred percent, I think it was a massive one. Like because after this match, you know, Switzerland came out and. Um, beat Germany in the semi-final, which mm. was which was a massive result to make the final. You know, and it's sort of like, well, yeah, how different perhaps would the mindset have been going into that match had they just lost to Italy, you know? Like, if mm. coming off losing to Austria, losing to Germany, and then losing to Italy, you know? Would the team have been in a very sort of negative mindset coming in for that semi... Well, I guess maybe... Yeah, it would have been Austria then, yeah. Possibly they might have yeah, been a different yeah. semi-final. Yeah, they probably would have played Austria in the semi-final instead of Germany, in which... Yeah, it could have been a very different complexion to the whole tournament had Italy won one of those match points or that, that last point in the second set. It's an odd phenomenon, actually, what you described here, and, and not discounting Italy at all, because I think it's a fantastic squad, but you, you go into games that you expect to win, and all of a sudden you're a couple of points down. You know, Italy were up 8-3 in the first set, and you're now wondering what, what the hell is going on, and you're trying to just go back to just, playing the, the style of game that you play well and you can't do it. You're making mistakes. You're not attacking as fluently as what you're attacking. You're not playing as cleanly as what you play. And no matter what you do, you can't bring that, that gameplay back. Where, where If you're in a game where you know that you have to play 110% to win, you'll play really well, but the, 
you feel as though that you, you can back off, you do, and there's no mindset that you can change to, to bring that back. And yeah, I, I think that when it got to the third set and, and Italy, you know, it was now one all. I think Italy may have just been, you know, backed off and had the same issue there where you were like, oh, fuck it. you know, we, we nearly had it and now, yeah. now we just can't get it back again. And uh, it's sport can really bring, it's hard to see where the mental game is, but mm. um, when you're watching it, but when you actually think about it, it's equally as much as mental as what it is physical. Yeah, it's crazy because if at 14-14, Totti served, yeah, he actually nearly put the ball on the line. I think it was like five centimeters off the line in the field. So yeah, we won that set. He really showed the gods there to serve that way. And uh, in the end, we won the game. We were relieved. We played a good game against Germany in the semifinals, won that game, came into the final, played a good game again. And now we're speaking about a, yeah, a good tournament for the Swiss team, like actually a really good tournament for the Swiss team. But if Totti would have striked that ball outside the field, he would have lost 2-0 against Austria. We would have been the first Swiss team uh, against Italy, sorry. We would have been the first Swiss team to in history to lose against Italy. We would have surely lost the semi-final against Austria afterwards because it would have been very hard to come back after a defeat like that. Then we would have had a very tight game against Italy again, probably on Sunday then for the third place. Um, I still think we would have won that game in the end, maybe or, or probably, but still in the end we would have been third being the team losing against Italy and... Uh, would have been a lot more pressure from home because in Switzerland, yeah, we have a lot of people playing football, a lot of people um, at least thinking they know how football works. And yeah, there's always a lot of critics if something goes wrong in a national team. So it pretty much was this one ball, this mm. one serve that changed everything because now everyone's happy with us. Otherwise, it would have been the complete opposite. So that's... That's, yeah, that's crazy. That's how sports is. Yeah, you're 100% right. Like I said, if that situation that you just played out had have happened, and yeah, even if you played Italy in the third place playoff and you might have won two sets to nil, 11-3, 11-4 or something, like maybe you absolutely destroyed Italy. And so you would have come home for that tournament really disappointed. Mm. In the end, you know, that, that one couple of serves, you know, and then you come out and you beat Germany in a semi-final. Yeah. And then you play a great final against Austria, and it's like everyone comes home like, how how good was that tournament? You know, we played really well. Yeah, we in the final we we're close, and I mean, we'll, I guess we'll talk about it more. But it was sort of, I guess, in the big points there. Carl Muller was awesome when he had to be in those in the final and got his Austria over the line. And you come home and think like, oh, well, that was a really good tournament. But yeah, it was a, a few points away from potentially being like a really disappointing, deflating kind of tournament where you would have gone home feeling really bad about it and it's yeah it's amazing how just those little moments in sport can mean so much in the big picture yeah absolutely it's been a fairly um all over the place game review we haven't really looked at it that closely but yeah i, I suppose as you said we uh, yeah switzerland ended up uh, too strong in the end in that third set and i think italy having had their chances in the second set and just not quite been able to to get there sort of couldn't come back out and back it up I guess some of the big takeaways for me, to be honest, I've never really watched too many Italian games super closely. Like the games I've gone back and watched from previous world championships, I generally tend to focus more on those, you know, 
Brazil, Austria, Switzerland, Germany games. I haven't focused too much on on the Italy games and and Chile, I guess too, because that's sort of just that that next level down. Yeah, I guess the big the big thing that for me, having like really sat and, and watched a lot of Italy, is appreciation for for how good Armin Runa is at fistball. Like he's he's uh, I think probably one of the most underrated players going around. I was just super impressed with him. Yeah, said he, and it's it's not just his. His touch, like he doesn't necessarily use power all the time. He places the ball perfectly and he serves well. He's yeah. I was crazy impressed watching it. I was like, I did I never realized how good how yeah. good it was. And I have a totally new appreciation for his his fistball talent after watching these games in this tournament. Yeah, he's just a crazy talent, and he's like for ten years he's leading us in in every tournament, and he's so amazing. You have to know he's also at Oxford. He's working at Munich at the moment. He hasn't the possibility to, to practice two or three times a week. If it goes well, he, he practices once a week. Maybe with a, with a team from the fifth league in Germany, you know. And he hasn't the standard that other strikers have in, in the country, like the Swiss strikers, the, the Austrian, the German ones. And still, he's in, in every tournament he's playing with us, he's so good that he's leading us to big results. Also in Griff in 2016, where we won a set against Patrick Thomas. The guy you mentioned earlier, <laughs> where where he he played against us and and Armin Ruder just who oh, ah yeah. yeah this is a blonde big guy you know and and Armin Ruder was was just better in this set than him you know and that's crazy how much a talent he is because he's practicing maybe maybe if it goes one once a week fistball you know wow. and he's not the youngest anymore it's gonna kill me for that but he's already 30 33 34 years old you know but he's playing at such high standards for that for big time for the australian uh, he's, he's yeah. young by yeah, he's, he's young by australian standards he's still got plenty of good years left ahead of him yeah because he's, he's completely fit you know that's... it goes with what i was saying before there was no way to blast the ball past the, the swift defense line and tim from from the swift team um Timmy golf he was really hitting some very fast and hard attacking balls. But Armin, he, he, I, I don't think he hit one winner from actually beating the defence line in, or not getting it past the defence line on the Swiss team. It was all through placement. And the first set and the, and the second set, I thought, was just really wonderful to watch. He just was able to read where the players were, he knew where their gap was, knew where that player was missing and was able to get the ball to, to just land exactly where he, where he wanted it. would take the pace off really well. And that was a big difference, I, I thought, between Armin um, and Tim, if you sort of putting the Packers sort of head-to-head. One was going brute force and just blasting it past the Italian defence line. The other one was just finding where's that gap because there was just no way to hit it hard enough to get it past the Swiss defence. Yeah. yeah. And I think... Another thing that I guess it sort of flows on from my realizing how good Armin Runa is, I, I probably had a, a similar revelation about Raphael Brad Pitt Schlattinger. He's um I know he's been part of the the Swiss team for a long time, but he's sort of generally I guess been behind kind of Lucas Lasser and Ule Rabsman and Christian Lasser. Like he hasn't in the big tournaments when we've watched him play, he hasn't always been out on the field he's often been that kind of third or fourth attacking option and hasn't played so much whereas i guess in this tournament now he's kind of the older guy that's you know one of the, the experienced attackers and having lost that first set when they sort of were like well we you know we want to win this match and and they brought him into the game after that and seeing him 
I guess he didn't take over in the second set, but he, you know, he was is huge. And then in the third set, he was massive. And and I guess rolling on to the final against Austria, I think he he really was one of the main reasons why why Switzerland sort of was so close in that game. But he's a, you know he's a lefty and his angles he's a he's a much better player than I know someone else said he didn't think he was a good player, but I just I haven't seen him play so much and I thought oh well wow, I was I was incredibly impressed with with how good he is. As the number one attacker, there's a lot more pressure on you then to kind of step up and and take over. And he rose to the occasion really well, I thought. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, he has a very interesting career. He played um, at SVD Dierpolzau in Switzerland for a long time. That's the club where he grew up and he was playing there for several years. Then at one point, yeah, he was just standing behind both lessers in in this in Dierpolzau and he couldn't play um, most of the time. So he... He moved to to Kolf in Germany, and that was in uh, 2016, 17, I guess. And after that, he started to become a much better player because he was playing more and more and more and more, and he had to take more responsibility in his club, and that really helped him to make a big big step and uh, take more responsibility in the Swiss team as well. And now, when uh, a lot of older and more experienced players don't play um, anymore. He even has to take more responsibility. So, uh, yeah, I think in the last year or two, he he even made a bigger step. So, yeah, he definitely played the tournament of his life. I I think you can say it that way. Yeah, absolutely. And and a quick shout-out to whoever is the supplier of his his hair care product, choice because even at, even at the end of the sixth set of the final when his his whole you know white swiss fistball shirt was just brown from you know like it looked like there'd been quite a lot of rain over the whole tournament his, his shirt was brown there was not a single hair out of place on his head and he's he's got his silver chains hanging down as like and his earrings and it's like wow he's he still looks you know he's Fresh. yeah yeah i guess that's the thing about him he yeah, he always looks good on the field. Yeah, true. <laughs> Between Brad Pitt uh, and uh, and also you've got um, uh, Sylvan Jung, is it that that looks like um, Steven Gerrard out there? You've, they've, you've really got the, the guys that just that that, that, that look the part. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, great! Great. Oh, yeah. So another player, I thought that really was a, quite phenomenal in the final, but also in this game here, the setter for Switzerland, uh, number nine, which is, I get the pronunciation wrong, just pick me up, Rico Strassman. Yeah, that's, that's is that right. right? Yeah, that's Rico. right. He, he, I thought his sets in the final were amazing and, and so much better than the Austrian sets. He just had them consistently close to the net. The Austrians were sort of had them pegged back a little bit from the net. And also played really well in this game here. And, and I think that's a, a really prominent and, and powerful figure there you have in the team because he just sets it up so perfectly for the attackers and just is, is always just getting it right where it needs to be um, and from long distances as well. And, and that actually even goes to the defence line as well. And you were talking, Nicholas, before about being under stress, having to, to hit that ball from the end line and then landing it nicely in the death point and it just happened to pay off. But your, your whole defence line there just sets really perfectly. I think it's one of the really excellent 
parts of the Switzerland team is just you, your setting is just perfect and then really just sets it up for them, the next point. No matter where the ball comes from, you just somehow get it back. Whether attacking ball was just landed nicely at the, you know, a few metres out from the net or whether it's about 20 metres past the end line, you just always seem to get it back right on the net for the next play. Yeah, I, I know um, Rico really well because he plays in the same club then as me, he plays for FK Elke Ittenhausen. So, uh, yeah, we, we have a really strong uh, friendship between us. I, I know him for quite a long time. And even when he was a kid, he was always the little guy playing uh, as a setter and just, yeah, setting those balls perfectly. And uh, as you said, it's sometimes, even me, during the match, I'm thinking, like, how does he do that? Because he plays about, I don't know, so many sets per match and all of them kind of look the same. It's yes. every <laughs> yeah. time there's the same amount of rotation in the ball. Every time it's about the same high and it's just so consistent. Yeah, I think that's such a strength from him. Yeah, he's getting even better and better on the baseline and uh, moving forward getting the short balls so he's uh, fast too. <laughs> he's quite fast too yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah and he's already uh, he's, mm. he's only 21 years old so uh, he's a great talent becoming better and better every year so uh, yeah I think he has a bright future in front of him and um, just on that is, is is it your brother also that plays in the team is it, it Joel is he your, your brother or a cousin or something you the same surname I'm, I'm guessing brothers yeah that's my brother playing uh, as an attacker now he was playing as a setter for pretty much his whole football career and then changed about three years ago because he didn't have uh, a striker in our team in Elkettenhausen. So uh, he kind of had to make that position change and he was always talented as an attacker, I would say. We still didn't expect him to make such big steps in three years. I mean, he's playing as a striker for three years. It's already been enough for one uh, title indoor and the one uh, second place outdoor with Elkettenhausen in the Swiss championships. Now he's playing in the national team as well, which is fabulous if you're thinking about um, him playing as an attacker for three years. So yeah, that's my brother. Yeah, that's really impressive. And yeah, and, and nice to have you know a few of you guys from the same club together. So you already have that sort of chemistry like you, you look at the German team and you look at Fungstadt and it's like they have basically half the German team playing together so it's like well those guys already have such good chemistry from playing together every week in their club matches when they have to go and play for Germany it's like well you don't have to worry about not knowing what how this guy sets the ball or what he does it's like they already know so well so I think that's and again I, I think that's possibly a thing uh, Moritz, for the Italian team of how you guys have been able to yeah. climb the ranks and get into that Austrian Bundesliga. Yeah. Like you guys, it's the same club. You know, the yeah. Bolzen is the essentially the Italian team. So you, you guys know each other's games so well. Mm. And I think there was even a point, I think it was in the, like late in the second set, was it Florian Runer, I think, who would just like, he, it was like 13, 12, like a common point. And he just like, he just like a made a bad shot and he just like, he just dragged himself. He's like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to go off yeah. because... I've made a bad shot and my confidence is down and I'm not like too proud to take myself as like, I think someone else needs to come in and, and step up here. And it's like that, the, having that kind of team chemistry, I think is a big part of, of how you guys have been able to, to rise the ranks so much just because yeah. you're, you're so no. well familiar with each other. Yeah, I saw that too. I, I, you know, I, 
and just wanted to tell you perfectly right that our main strength we're we're all friends we're one big family and nobody thinks that he's bigger than the team and mm. if he's, he went in and thought he could change the game he could win the game and after two three balls he saw no I, I can't and so he brought back in the guy who played before him and it was worth a shot but um, at the end he isn't too proud to say hey I, I didn't play well um, I have to go out he's our he's our captain in the in the in the club team so that's even more amazing from him that he's willing to stay out for the whole game here in such an important mm-hmm. and such a great game for us and that shows what a great captain and what a great team player he is and that's our strength in the end that we have I, I always say in the team we have um, nine players in the team which we can change out without having any downgrade in, in the quality on the pitch the only one who has to stay in is Armin Rune as you said our, our main strike and the other four guys are important. Yeah, we have five guys starting, and but we have four guys on outside that are close, close, close to the guys who are starting, and that's one of our most important things we have in the team. Yeah, he, um, Armin Rooney reminds me, I'm not sure if either of you guys were lucky enough to play against Argentina at the time, but when Martin uh, Buba Vasquez was playing for Argentina, he was a little bit like that. He was, yeah, yeah obviously, I know Italy, you're not as a whole, are quite at the same level as, as Austria, Switzerland, Germany, whatever, but but you have one player who is at that level, who's good enough that when he plays well, yeah. if the rest of the team plays well too, he is capable of getting you near those guys. And yeah. like Buba Vasquez was for Argentina. Like when he was, was on fire, Argentina were a, a tough challenge for any of the top teams yeah and yeah, yeah. and i feel like I, I have that sort of same level of appreciation for his level for his game now that it's like he's good enough to to have played for just about any international team in the world and yeah. he would have been able to you know to hold down a spot and that's pretty impressive and how we sort of spoke a little bit earlier about i guess the age demographic of the italian team is that you've sort of you've hit you know the, the best ever level that you're at but your team's a little bit older now it's kind of that how do you Yep. replace him yeah. at some stage you know like, like i'm guessing he's yes yeah, so and he's 33 34 he'll presumably still play in in manheim 2023 but i'm guessing that may be his last world championship we may get one more, but yeah. yeah like at some point you've got to find someone to replace that one amazing guy and i think and we saw that with argentina in 2011 2015 they were that sort of fourth fifth team just behind the top teams and then without martin vasquez they sort of dropped down to that sort of seventh eighth ninth level and i guess that's the big challenge for italy now you've you've got up to that fifth spot how do you stay there yeah we were really long scared about that and everybody in our our club said hey how it's going on when armin armin's not playing again but now i'm pretty sure that we will have two or three years where we won't be at the level we are now but when i when i look at our our younger guys, as, as I said earlier, are 214. They are now 15, 16 years old. Two strikers are coming up there. I don't think they'll be much worse than, than Armin is now because they're such amazing talents, both of them. And we, we're really lucky to have them now because they're going to be, I don't know, it's the same football. They're gonna, I'm pretty sure that they're going to be on the same level than him. To hang on and, and practice and, and do what he invests for the sport and, and they're going to be on the level than he is now. That I'm pretty sure, but yeah, I'm sure we, we will we will have two three years. Mm. Yeah, and I guess that's that's how it works, you know. Sometimes you, when you're a smaller country that you don't have a huge pool of players, you can't be strong all the time. No. But from what you said before, you've got a really strong youth core coming through, which is important. We did a podcast with one of the guys from Denmark, and he talked about how they really had an impressive. I think it was 2003 World Championships, like where they'd been around for a while, and they, and they climbed. I think they finished sixth. 
in 2003, and they had this really strong core of the same guys that had been playing together, similar sort of situation, and they got up and they had their best ever finish at sixth, but all their guys were kind of old, a little bit older, and then they just they also just sort of stopped playing and, and went to the stage where not only did they like not finish well, they, they didn't even compete in any world championships for yeah, eight, eight for or ten, ten years, years. and it's sort yeah. of like, that's the worry, you know? It's like, if you don't have, you know, it's, it's all good and well to have a really great team, but if you don't have a strong youth team coming up behind it, it can all disappear very quickly. But yeah, yeah, it's awesome from what you're saying that you've got a a really strong youth team that can hopefully um, drive through and and keep Italy strong in the world championships for a long time to come. So that's really cool. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, we've sort of been a bit all over the place with our review. We haven't really, I would say, done a proper match review. And I think we've sort of probably talked about who our best players were and we talked about how good Armin Runa was and Raphael Schladinger and and a few others so without trying to to draw this on too much longer I think we can probably move on to I guess just the end of our podcast we usually give uh like to give some some shout outs so if there's anyone uh that you would like to give a to give a shout out to or a a thank you to just to to say good day and then you can sort of force them to try and listen to the podcast and make them sit through two and a half hours of this talking that's um that's always good so um yeah if either of you guys uh have have any shout outs you'd like to give or if you'd like to think about it we can we can jump in first yeah first of all of course uh shout out to my sister thank you for the nice information she gave about me that's that's the first shout out that's important and also of course shout out to my whole team especially to our captain Simon, who gave me some information about our past, because I'm a, bit, a little bit too young to know everything about our past in our club, and he gave me much information, so, yeah, and everybody else, around the 18 guys and around the 14 guys, everybody in the club, thank you, guys. Awesome. Yeah, I would, I would like to give a shout-out to my Swiss national team as well. It's been a pleasure playing with you guys, and uh, thank you very much, and I hope, I think there will be um, some great years ahead of us, so... Uh, Alles geil ist hier und go on. Alle. Yeah, awesome. Cool. How about you, Lee? You got any uh, any random shout yeah, outs? I, I, I do have a random one. One thing I've noticed is I wear my fistball tops that I've traded and, and swapped. Over the, I've been lucky enough to get over the years and I wear them all the time. And there's two that have just looked as brand new today as, as when I've received them. And one is the fistball training top. Um, which is uh, similar to what Malcolm's wearing. I'm not wearing it at the moment because it, it's in the wash, but I think it's, I guess it's made by Adidas, but it has not worn one bit. Uh, so shout out to, to Adidas, it's good apparel that they're making. Fun fact, the other one that hasn't worn uh, a bit is the USA top that has, it's got all these prints on it and just, yeah, has withstood the test of time for, for years. It, I think that's, a, is that also an Adidas top? Uh, no, it's... Um, I think they are, aren't they? Are... Actually, no, you're right. You're right, it is an Adidas top, so there we are. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I should have actually prepared them. Double shout-out. Yeah. Two others. One is for Elmer. Uh, I think I shout-out to him every time we're on here because he's just really, really good to us. Uh, I think he's just had a kid as well, uh, just very recently, so good luck to him and then his future. And, yeah, really missed hanging out with, with Elmer. I think he was fantastic for our team and, and showed us all around Switzerland. And Bianca, of course, who came down and coached our Australian women's team a couple of years ago now. I know she listens to the podcast, so shout out to her too. 
Awesome, thanks, Lee. Um, yeah, I've just got a, a couple. I'm keeping quiet. The first one is a, a shout out to uh, my cousin Benny the Sasquatch Whisperer Giles, who gets a random shout out in every episode. I was, was going to do that, but I figured you would, Mel. <laughs> yeah, so it might be his latest ever shout out. I usually try and try and squeeze him in early, and this one is actually a, a proper legitimate random shout out to a guy I don't even know, but I think he's a German guy. I don't know, but I see him. He pops up in my people you may know on Facebook every now and then, but he's just, he's always there in the background, sitting like courtside at every major international tournament. Is a German guy, I think his name's Harald Muckenfuss or Muckenfuss or something. Mm, Yeah. And he reminds me of like, I think he looks like the dad of James Hetfield from Metallica. He's kind of got that (laughs) slick back hair and the little goatee and everything. And it's like, he's just always right there on the sidelines. He's always like front row center of every tournament. I'm like, so he probably doesn't speak English and I'm sure he doesn't listen to this thing. But um, yeah, to to James Hetfield's dad, um, Harold Muckenfuss, you can have a random (laughs) shout out from me. So um, while I'm doing my my lookalikes, I've already got in Brad Pitt and Steven Gerrard, so I'll throw James Hetfield in there for a random lookalike too. And yeah, I think that's probably, uh, that's, that's pretty good. I think we've done pretty well. Just uh, what two hours forty minutes? That's only. I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna have to handball this back to Milne to edit. I don't. Yeah. I don't want to edit this myself. It's too much. So it's what he does. I don't want him to feel left out. Oh, a shout out then. Final shout out to Milne for his editing skills. Yeah. And yeah. Really done. Yeah. Done the fistful podcast. Just wonders with with yourself and Mal and and, and Milne. And without you two, it wouldn't be the, the show that is. So. Shout out to Milne as our final one. Yeah, this is a fantastic show you put together and thanks for getting me along this week. Yeah, and I'll second that. I said I think last episode I did was the first one that I've edited myself and I've often sort of talked about how lucky I am to not have to edit them and Milne does the hard work. I didn't really realise how how hard it is and how it's it's an awful process. So, um, yeah, a big shout out to Milne for, for his hard work doing the editing because I don't want to do it anymore. I did one and, well, I haven't even, I've done half of one at this point and I don't want to do it anymore. And he's done the other like 20 episodes. So, yeah, a shout out to Milne. Thank you for all your hard work. You're the true heartbeat of our podcast. Yeah. So thanks, mate. We love your work. Yeah, I guess on top of that, I guess it's just, yeah, thank you so much, Moritz and Nicholas for coming on and talking fistball with us. Yeah, you're two borders breaking. You're the first ever Italian and first Swiss people we've had on the uh, on the podcast so far, I believe. So thanks so much for coming and talking fistball with us. We we love it. You know, we're new to the sport, but we just we can't get enough of it here in Australia. We we wish we could be in these big tournaments in Austria, or Germany, Switzerland, Europe. But um, it's so cool to be part of this fistball family and to have you guys come on and talk random fistball with a couple of Aussie guys who are absolutely terrible at the sport but just love it yeah we we really appreciate it so so thank you guys so much thank you for having us it was amazing for us too i think you can speak for both of us amazing podcast nice to talk with you and i hope we see each other in Mannheim in 2023 yeah thanks from my side as well um it was a real pleasure to be a part of your podcast and uh yeah keep it going guys and uh hope to see you soon on the baseball field really looking forward to that yeah, absolutely. We're both desperate to get to Mannheim in 2023, and and I really, really hope we can see you there. So, um, I guess I'll I'll start up with our closeout. So, what we we usually do is we say um, hooroo, which is a very weird Australian way of saying goodbye, but fist on and uh and hooroo, hooroo, hooroo. <laughs> yeah, and enjoy the rest of your trip, guys. In in Malaga, have a great time and send us updates of your holiday. Hooroo and fist Thank on. We'll do that. Thank you, guys. 
Snip, snip, snip.